0: Good morning, so Derek, if you can put up my slides, I have slides and handouts because I'm a professor, so this is what we do, right? Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you all this morning about spiritual growth and what life looks like in the period when we are waiting for transformations to take place. Part of this sermon um, served as the basis for the workshops that I led at the women's retreat this past October. So for those of you who were able to attend that, this will be a graceful reminder of the things that we talked about then, five months ago. Um, But Pastor Nathan invited me to share this with the congregation as a whole, because it turns out that spiritual growth applies to all of y'all. Um, So many of the topics are also very much related to the topics that uh, we've been reading about in God and My Everything and the different parts of the trellis, so hopefully you'll be able to see those connections throughout. Friends, the God who created the world out of nothing is still creating us. He is an active potter. He's shaping us, molding us, and making us into a new creation. He alone has the power to transform us, to give us clean hands, to give us pure hearts. As we sang about this morning, he's the God who can turn mourning into dancing, ashes into beauty, shame into glory, graves into gardens, bones into armies, and seas into highways. He's the only one who can. So to begin my talk about spiritual growth, I'd like to read you Levi's plant journal from first grade. So Levi is my eight-year-old. And this past year, everyone in his class got three kidney beans to grow. They began by wrapping them in a wet paper towel and putting it in a cup. And then they kept a journal to monitor the changes in growth that they saw in their kidney bean plants. All right, so here's day one, Levi's plant journal. Today, we planted kidney beans. We didn't use soil. So there's the three beans wrapped in the paper towel. There's a little water at the bottom of the cup. And this is the kidney bean biome. My day two observations. I see changes in my plant. Yes, the roots are starting to grow. So there's the tap root that's coming out of the kidney bean. My day three observations. I see changes in my plant. Yes, the roots are growing thicker and longer. My day four observations. I see changes in my plant. No, nothing. Oof, day four, nothing. Maybe this is the page where you find yourself in your spiritual growth journal. So what do we do on day four? What do we do while we're waiting on God? What do we do while we're waiting for transformation and growth? I'm hopeful that just as we've been learning about In God and My Everything, my talk today will equip you with some answers to those questions and perhaps also give you a more elaborate perspective on the ways that we grow spiritually. So there are many passages in the Bible that speak to spiritual growth and being changed through Christ. Here are some examples. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what we seek, having a renewal of our heart and mind and spirit, being transformed into a new creation. That is spiritual growth and formation. Jesus tells a parable in the book of Luke to illustrate the different ways that Christians respond once they believe. We spent a lot of time last summer going through the parables of Jesus, and our Vacation Bible School was centered around the parables of Jesus also, and we um, talked about this parable in Luke. So Luke 8 says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Jesus nicely interprets this parable for us and says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the passage continues and said, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. This result of growth is powerful. When the seed takes root and produces a crop, the kingdom of heaven is manifest here on earth. Galatians 5:22 through 23 tells us what this fruit looks like. The fruit Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So that is effective spiritual growth is transformational, and through growth, we become more like Christ in our attitudes and actions, and take the hatred, and injury, and doubt, and despair, and darkness, and sadness of this world, and turn it into love and joy pardon faith hope and light in hoping to grow more Christ-like it's helpful to consider what Jesus did right so Jesus had a full and complete life with God and from the life of Jesus Christ there emerge six distinct areas these are outlined by Richard Foster in his spiritual formation workbook, which the ladies went through during their women's retreat last October. So here are some examples. When we read the gospels, we see Jesus praying, and we listen to his teaching on the life of intimacy with God. Jesus is always escaping and going off into uh, places of isolation away from his disciples to seek intimacy and meditation and prayer. This shows his devotion to God. But we also see Jesus helping the sick and the needy. We listen to his teaching on the importance of caring for our neighbor. He's healing the lepers, he's caring for the sick, he's helping the young and the old. This is his compassion towards all people. We also see Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. We listen to him reading from the scriptures um, he knew those Old Testament readings and cited them over and over again. because He was the fulfillment of those prophecies. He um, proclaimed the gospel. Right? That was a third aspect that we see from Jesus. Fourth, we see Jesus ministering in great power, and we listen to his teaching on the comfort, wisdom, and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. This empowerment by the Holy Spirit is manifest in Jesus. Fifth, we see Jesus battling with Satan in the wilderness, and we listen to his teaching on the importance of a pure heart, right? His opposition towards sin, his embracing of a holy and pure life, virtue in thought, word, and action. And sixth, we see Jesus integrating sacred and secular while observing the ceremonies of his faith. This intersection between faith and work is also seen throughout the gospels. So our goal in spiritual growth is to gain a deeper understanding of these aspects of Jesus' life and incorporate them into our own life, right? By doing so, we will grow more and more Christ-like if we also can increase our devotion to God, our compassion towards other people, proclamation of the gospel, empowerment of the spirit, virtue in thought, word, and action, and harmony between faith and work. So it's easy, though, to get stuck in a rut where we rely only on previous and comfortable ways of being Christ-like. Maybe one of these kind of jumps out at you as as your go-to for spiritual growth. But authentic spiritual growth requires that we venture out away from our comfort zones and experience discipleship and spiritual formation in really new and exciting ways. So Richard Foster, in his Spiritual Formation workbook, also notes that the history of the Christian church has been marked by a series of movements, right? That word is used to describe how God's spirit has moved upon individuals and groups of people over the years with a particular mission. So let's look at some of these examples that he outlines um, in his workbook. So in the fourth century, men and women fled city life to found cloisters and monasteries where they emphasized the importance of solitude meditation and prayer we've been hearing about this in ken's book god in my everything right he's like the, the importance of monks and monasteries the church was strengthened by their emphasis on intimacy with god and a contemplative movement was born In the late 12th century, Francis of Assisi and a group of followers abandoned their former lives and went about the Italian countryside, caring for the sick, the poor, and the lame. Countless men and women followed Francis's lead. Their impact on disease and poverty was remarkable, and they became an example of the social justice movement. In the 16th century, Martin Luther and others proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ after discovering its message anew in the Bible. This message of hope and victory was expressed by clergy and laity in sermons, mission efforts, and personal witnessing. In the history of the church, it's a wonderful example of the evangelical movement. In the 17th century, the church witnessed a new outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the lives of men and women who were called Quakers, led by the ministry of George Fox. The active role of the Spirit was at the center of their worship, and it propelled them into evangelism, missions, and social concern. This is an example of the charismatic movement. In the early 18th century, John Wesley and his friends formed a group nicknamed the Holy Club and began focusing on the need for Christians to overcome sinful habits. The purifying effects of the Methodist efforts were dramatic and it became an example of the holiness movement. And then in the 18th century, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzerdorf, who might have the best name ever, allowed remnants of the persecuted Moravian church to build the village of Herhut on his estate. The Moravians joyfully served God, praying, evangelizing, and helping others in the midst of baking, teaching, weaving, and raising families. This is an example of the incarnational movement. So now these six movements... Um, nicely map onto the six areas in which we see Christ at work in the Gospels, in the New Testament. So we've got when Jesus is praying and teaching about the life of intimacy with God, spending time with God in prayer and meditation, and exemplifying the devotion to God. This is um, an example of that contemplative lifestyle. And as we think about Ken's book, um, God in My Everything, we can see that this Uh, echoes what we've talked about with prayer and sabbath right as those aspects of the trellis that are really important for pointing us upward towards um, growth Um, when we when we see jesus helping the sick caring for the needy showing compassion to all people helping others who are less fortunate this is the social justice movement and if we think about the trellis this would be um, you know ken's chapter on justice as well as thinking about how we use our money to um, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We see Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven, um, relying on scripture, the power of scripture. This is the evangelical movement. And so again, as Ken and God and everything talks about, the importance of just soaking yourself in scripture um, and also being a powerful witness. Those chapters are similar to that movement there. Ministering and healing in power of the spirit, right? So uh, relying on the Holy Spirit for power. This is the charismatic movement, which for the trellis would be um, uh, thinking about things like justice and witness and kind of your reach out outside of um, our church body here. Um, when Jesus is battling with Satan in the wilderness, we see his importance on the pure heart, the virtue in um, living a sinless life, right, being holy and pure. Um, this is when we've been talking about uh, our, our body and our relationships with each other as important aspects of the trellis, too, to keep in mind. And then finally, um, the incarnational movement is... Um, looking back at Jesus's actions, where he integrates his faith with work, uh, combining the secular and the sacred. And so this would be, as we've been talking about recently, with um, worshiping God and embracing uh, the power of the Spirit through work and through play also. So having looked over these very dimensions of the spiritual life that Christ himself exemplified and thinking about those various church movements that represent them, which one is your greatest strength, right? Which one are you kind of like relying on for spiritual growth? Um, Which one of these speaks to you the most? Which one comes most naturally? And then in contrast, right, which one is your greatest opportunity for growth? Which one, um, which one is not your go-to, but is one in which you might benefit by stretching yourselves outside of your comfort zone to learn how to grow um, in those particular areas. So thinking through these various aspects of spiritual life and our relative strengths and weaknesses, uh, we see some important insights. So first, we have a lot for which we can thank God. So God has created us each uniquely um, with our own abilities and our own talents. We're strong in particular areas so that we can exercise those gifts and as part of our ministry to the church. And we should rejoice in those strengths. God has begun a good thing in us, and we should be grateful and, um, and, and really happy about that. Um, but second, we have a lot of room to grow. Right, that we're, we're not done yet, God's still working on us. And um, we shouldn't be discouraged by that, but the challenge and excitement of spiritual growth comes when we start becoming strong in areas that previously we saw as weaknesses. Now third, uh, we might notice that some of us are strong in some areas while others are not and vice versa. There's not necessarily one of these six areas that Christ exemplified that is weak for all of us, right? We have, we have individual strengths and weaknesses. And this is one of the great benefits of being part of the body of Christ, of being part of the church, is that we build upon each other's strengths. So when you hear people in this church say that they're strong in areas in which you're not... We should be thankful for the gifts that God has given them and seek that, right? Like, try use that as a learning opportunity. It has been so wonderful over the past few months listening to you all come up here and share the ways in which uh, your experiences have have helped you to grow, right? So we had Stephen and Caitlin share about how honoring the Sabbath has been really impactful for their spiritual growth. Um, Chaz and Lorian talked about the importance of small groups Um, we've had um, uh, Holly and Julie talking about holding each other accountable in their relationships with spiritual with Christian friends Um, Right and Steve uh, talked about the importance of being a light in the workplace And it's been so impactful for me and hopefully for you too by hearing other people talk about um, their strengths and their experiences with spiritual growth and these various aspects of the trellis or movements. So I, um, I thank God for these friends that are in this church because their strengths will help me and you build ourselves up. Um, we have to become more interdependent on each other. Right? We're really good as uh, a country of celebrating independence. We have a whole, like, fireworks holiday, holiday. Uh, dedicated to it in the summer, um, but Christ wants us to be interdependent. Right? He wants us to rely on each other's weaknesses, right? We rely on each other's strengths and p- build up our own weaknesses, and 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this, uh, this body of Christ and the interdependence. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All right, so how do we grow? How do we grow? Well, it's important to remember that God is in charge of the growth, but we can do things in the waiting period to facilitate that growth. Just like with a plant, you can add water, you can put it in the sunshine, you can add fertilizer, throw out the rocks, right? You can get the soil in a place where it, uh, the conditions are ideal for growth. So let's look at some more verses here. We have Philippians 4.9 says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Romans 14.19 says, so then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then 1 Timothy 4.7, which uh, Ken, Ken starts his book off in God and My Everything, train yourselves in godliness. So look at these verbs here. We have do, pursue, make every effort, and train. These verbs describe the disciples' responsibility in the transformation process. Without question, God does the renewing the empowering, the recreating, the molding. But the disciples must do the yielding, the obeying, and the submitting. Thinking back to the parable of the sower in Luke, we can make sure that the soil of our hearts is conducive for growth. We need to do the weeding. We need to clear the garden of rocks. We need to set up our trellis so that we can grow upward and strong. And we've seen that there are a lot of areas to grow in, and there's no secret formula for spiritual formation. There's no check-off box that will guarantee growth. Some activities work for some people and not for others. Ken's book, God in My Everything, has given us some specific ideas for building up our trellis to support growth, and I'd like to share some more ideas with you, too, so if I can have Elder Bert. And maybe kyra too if we can have um, a person from each household raise your hand i have a handout because i'm the handout queen at skidmore Um, and so this is a list for each of the six different movements it's a list of specific ideas for spiritual growth right so if you're looking at the social justice movement um, and you're feeling that you're weak in that area and you'd really like to grow closer to God and become more Christ-like in that area, this is a list of examples of things that you could try to do to develop um, that area. So there's six pages, because there's one for each of the different movements. And again, right, some of these activities are going to um, be really helpful for you, and others might not. But I'm hopeful that this um, as a supplement to Ken's God in My Everything book will give you a whole bunch of resources here for things that you can try, right? Things that you might not have thought of that will allow you to um, soak up scripture, to, um, to um, just put yourself in a place where growth is possible. So again, these activities will not necessarily ensure growth. Right? but they will help put ourselves in a place where God can transform our lives from the inside out. We can take an active role in our growth as a disciple, as these verses have shown us, and so these give us some ideas for things that we can do to help do, pursue, make every effort, and train ourselves in godliness. Okay, but um, number five is... Remember that these activities are a means to an end, but not the goal themselves. So these are not, they're, they're a means to an end, right? The goal is to become more Christ-like, not only in what we do, but also in who we are. The fruit that comes from this spiritual growth is what is of utmost importance, And that's not how much time we spend in prayer or fasting or the number of hours that we serve the poor, but it's in the fruit, right? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please do not look at this list that you're holding in your hands as a to-do list that must be completed, right? I would hate for you to feel anxious or overwhelmed by these activities. And the goal here is not to indoctrinate you into some sort of legalistic garbage. Um, but these suggested activities are just that, they're suggestions. It's, it's not, also not a list of um, how to get into heaven, right? That checklist has one item. Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and died to redeem you, right? Check. (laughs) Um, And this is also not a list of deeds that God expects us to accomplish to justify our faith or a new list of commandments. So Jesus tells us very clearly in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that is, we are told to love God and love others. So again, I hope that you find these lists of activities helpful as suggested avenues for connecting with God that perhaps you had not considered previously But keep and embrace the freedom that comes from Jesus through grace at the forefront of your mind. And then finally, I want you to know that spiritual growth may look different at different points of your life. I like to think of my life in seven-year increments. kind of echoes a sense of jubilee from the Old Testament. Um, So let me give you a sense of some of my seven-year periods of life. So from age 20 to 27, I was a young adult. I was a college student when I got married to Bert. And we were graduate students. We had no kids and I was very active in my local church and my college Christian fellowship groups. I ran multiple Bible study groups. I sang on the worship team. I distributed food at the food pantry. I was active in children's ministry I started and led a children's choir. I helped with church lunches and the youth group. I read my Bible and I prayed more than never. Yeah. And so then we enter the next seven year era. So ages 28 through 35. We moved here to upstate New York. I started a real job and I had five kids in seven years. My public service at church dropped off. Even attendance at church was spotty. There was a whole six-month period where we couldn't attend. We very much wanted to, but just our life circumstances were such that it was impossible. Um, We were negotiating separation anxieties and nap times. It just wasn't going to happen for us to be here. My infants screamed in the service. My toddlers wouldn't stay in Sunday school. I had sick preschoolers I wanted to be able to serve at church. I wanted to use my musical gifts to lead worship. I wanted to be able to read and think about a biblical passage without being interrupted by a child or five of them. I found the transition really difficult, and it took me almost a full seven years of this season of life to overcome a great deal of bitterness to be able to see what God was doing in my spiritual growth. I was stuck on day four. I see changes in my plant. No, nothing. Although during this time, I wasn't able to commit to public service within the church, my spiritual growth grew in the contemplative area. I learned how to worship God through song, by singing praise songs in the van in the church parking lot on Sunday mornings while my toddler slept in the back seat. I discovered that 3.30 a.m. is a terrible time to serve in a food pantry, but an excellent time to pray or sing while nursing an infant. I also greatly grew in the incarnational area, which previously had been one of my weakest areas. Remember, this is unifying the sacred and the secular. Seeing Christ in the mundane and being Christ in the midst of my daily life. This was revealed to me in a small group that I was part of shortly after Levi, my youngest, was born. We read Matthew 25, which says Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance So during this small group, we discussed who gets hungrier than a little baby? Who enters the world more naked than a baby in need of clothes and a blanket to stay warm? Who enters the world more a stranger than a baby, literally knowing no one, depending on adults to take care of them and give them a family? Who gets sick more often than a toddler with the earaches and the colds and the sore throats. Friends, at that time, as a mom to five kids under age eight, I was fulfilling Matthew 25 like no one's business. I was killing it. God was calling me to a more intimate, incarnational way of serving instead of the public and outward Christian service that I'd been used to. And so I tried to embrace that. And grow as a disciple of Christ not despite my role as a mother but because of my role as a mother I've developed a better understanding of God's role as our Heavenly Father by being a parent and that's in no way means that you have to be a parent to grow spiritually but I have found that I have been able to grow tremendously during this time when I am one I came to realize when I was feeding that baby, I was feeding God's baby. When I was clothing that top, I was clothing God's child. When I was providing a family for a child who enters this world knowing no one, I was taking one of God's strangers and giving him a home. And I learned to embrace this and also grant myself grace for all of those areas where I was not currently serving. And good thing, too, because the next seven years, ages 35 to 42, these past seven years, one of my primary roles was caring for my aging parents as they grew ill and died. And I can think of nothing more aligned with the incarnational tradition than hospice care work. My mom made her way to heaven three years ago, and my dad did this past summer. And so what does this next seven years look like for me? Ages 43 to 50. With my parents gone, and my children needing less hands-on service, what will my spiritual growth look like? Will it be more contemplative, more evangelical, or charismatic, more aligned with the holiness movement or the social justice tradition? Your guess is as good as mine. So I encourage you to remember this last point, that spiritual growth may look different at different points of your life. Be receptive to growing in whatever ways God is stretching you so that he can use you according to his will and not yours. (laughs) So I'd like to conclude by returning back to Levi's plant journal. As you'll recall, he had planted three kidney beans and they had started to grow roots. Day two, the roots were starting to grow. Day three, The roots are growing thicker and longer, but then we had hit day four. I see changes in my plant. No, nothing. So is that where the story ends? My day five observations. I see changes in my plant. Yes, it is huge. It has sprouted. It is flooded with roots. So he took the beans home, he planted them in soil, and they grew, and they grew. And then he took the kidney beans from those plants and he planted them in dirt, and they grew. And by the end of the summer, he had over 30 kidney bean plants. Day four may seem long, but day five is coming. Be patient and worshipful and prayerful and service-minded and faithful until at which point you too will find yourselves sprouted, flooded with roots and yielding a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Um, Because of our voices, we're going to end with a song. Um, We're going to have Steve play it, and um, Derek can show the words for us. You are welcome to stand or sit as we sing this song together.